The following program deals with military and veteran issues. All comments and opinions expressed on this show are those who made them. They do not reflect the opinions of the Church of Satan or Radio Free Satan. So on with the show. Welcome to the official Infernal Legion podcast. I am your host, Reverend, yes, you heard that right, Reverend Jeff Bowling, the commander of the Infernal Legion, back again with a sinister scuttlebutt episode of the podcast. And alongside me, joining me at long last since his near-death experience last winter, is the one and the only Reverend Dwayne Burns. Dwayne, welcome back to the show, brother. How the hell are you? I am alive. (laughs) <laughs> we all doubted it for a little bit, but I'm glad to, I'm glad you're back, man. Yeah, it was two months on, two months uh, they had me out, innovated, uh, on life support. I lost two months of my life, don't know what the fuck happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, man. So, yeah, I mean, I, I tried to be as... Uh, coy about it as possible on the show. I just said you were having some medical issues, but if you want to tell us what happened, you want to share your story, man, by all means, go go for it. Well, without being too graphic, I was in the bathroom taking care of doing my business and got up from the toilet and went straight down. Went ass over apple cart. Uh, just blacked out. Um... I came to my 20-year-old son standing me up, pulling my damn pants up, telling me what the fuck's going on. I got down to the hospital. I remember none of this. I remember not walking out to the car, getting into the car. I told him I was was screaming from the bathroom, telling him to have him call me a squad. And uh, I, I, I remember nothing. They walked me out to the car. Took me down to the hospital. I gave the hospital a hard fucking time. They wouldn't let me have anything. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't let me have anything to drink. Was my big bitch, and they said, "Well, we need to." I guess I guess my pulse ox was down to about. Uh, I think they said seventy five, and anything below ninety, they start bitching about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and my actual pulse, my heart beats. We're up around 120 beats per minute. You got up to 147. So I was blasting my, I was blasting my heart out of my chest. Uh, they came up with, uh, COPD caused by, they're assuming, and you know, that's just because I told them that's the only thing I've been exposed to is the oil fires and shit over in, uh, in uh, Desert Storm, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and um, also they said uh, heart failure, just plain old heart failure. That uh, they had me there for a bit, but they didn't know if they were going to be able to save me till till Alyssa told the men and all my background. I guess the thing that saved me is they flipped me over on my stomach, and they they made me breathe laying on my stomach. With all these tubes in me, it's pretty weird. Again, I remember nothing. Yeah, we were all we were all worried. Um, 
Alyssa, your wife, for the listeners who don't know, Alyssa is Dwayne's wife. She was on the uh, uh, messenger with me every day, filling me in. Um, shortly before they put you in a coma, we had a video chat, and I guess you don't remember that video chat. Oh, no. <laughs> nope, I don't. Uh, yeah, you're I pretty loopy, but I do remember you saying that, that you were you were adamant, you were pissed off about the fact that they gave you morphine for the pain. Um. Oh yeah, I understand that. Uh, is is everything situated with that? Like the morphine's not a problem anymore. Um, those of you who don't know, I had a problem with morphine a while back. Uh, VA had me on it for fourteen years. <laughs> it was uh, I started out at fifteen milligrams a day, and ended my stint with the morphine after all those years. At four 100 milligram tablets a day. And God, that's a lot of morphine. It was. And I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. Told the doctor I couldn't do it anymore. I needed something else or a different treatment. And I ended up getting into a pissing contest with them and we ended up taking me off the morphine cold turkey, which was dangerous as hell too. Right. Um, but that was several years ago, and now now you're back yeah, on. Yeah, that was several hospital. years ago. Uh, yeah, that that's what pissed me off is I had never wanted to go back on that shit again. Right. But what pissed me off most is the goddamn doctor stereotyped me because of my long beard, my long hair, my biker look that I was an addict. Just looked at me and you're an addict, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> fuck you, you know. Right. I told her, I, I told her, I said, you know, I, am I dependent upon it? Hell yeah, you've had me on it for all these years. Right. If I, if I were to stop taking it, would you, would I go into fits and get sick? Yes. But I'm not an addict. And after having to go through what I did with the withdrawal, I told myself I'd never use it again. And and then they forced it. They, that's the first thing. That's the yeah. first thing they pumped into me. Right now, right now I'm on, uh, and I I've come down from ten three twenty fives, but the Percocets I'm actually down to five five hundreds. I've had the doctor step me down, and I plan on this month the doctor stepping me down again until I'm not on them anymore. That's good. Um, That's good. Yeah. My arm, I've got a, I, I, I crushed my left shoulder. Right. I was going to say, you said you broke it in like seven places, I think, if I remember correctly. Well, if, if, if you look at a shoulder and you look at the ball joint there, the ball itself, I, it's like I shattered. It looked like an eyeball with veins going through it in five different right. areas. I, I just totally shattered that. And then the top of the rotator cuff I broke. And then I broke the hubris. And uh, that, that's why they were giving me so many meds. Right, right. Because I, I was, they, they, they can't do surgery on me when they can't get my breathing under control. So I'm, I've, I've yet to have my arm fixed. I've got about 30% use of my arm. Fucking crazy. Fucking crazy. But you know what? You're back. Not only are you back, you got ordained, my friend. You're a reverend now. Congratulations. You too, sir. 
Yeah, yeah. For, so for those of you who don't know, and I'm guessing most of our listening audience knows by now, uh, there was a whole wave of elevations and ordinations that went out uh, from from Central, uh, all dated Valpurgis Nacht. Uh, myself and Dwayne were both ordained and elevated to priest, you know, or reverend, as we call it, in the Church of Satan. Um, also, our former producer and the communications officer for the Infernal Legion, uh, Jeffrey Ivins, was ordained as a priest as well. So congratulations to him. And uh, another voice that many of you are familiar with that you're going to hear a little bit later on in the show, our, our very own Adam Campbell was elevated to magister in the Church of Satan. Uh, and so it's all very exciting. Congratulations all around. Uh, I, I, and of course, any any legionnaires that were elevated and haven't let us know yet, please do. We'd love to give you a shout out on the next episode. I, uh, I want to give the I want to give those guys a hymn. You ever give these guys a hymn? A hymn? Yes. Him, him, fuck him. All right. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> the show has not been the same without Dwayne. I think everyone can agree. <laughs> but we do have a wonderful episode today. We're, we're back on our regular rotations of Scuttlebutts and Wicked Warriors. Um, uh, today we're going to talk about uh, military pay increase for next year. We're going to talk about some stolen valor and uh, homeless vet nonsense. And then after a quick break, Magister Adam Campbell is going to join us for his very first segment entitled The Tower, where he's going to discuss the name changes of various military bases across the southern United States. And then we're going to close out the show talking about some recent developments in the Security Forces Assistance Brigades from the United States Army. So we're jam-packed. I mean, we're packed the gills with stuff to talk about, and I'm happy as hell to have you back, Dwayne. Um, before we jump into the topics, let's give a quick shout out to the sponsors of this episode, shall we? The Warlock Emporium is creating bespoke items for the chosen few. The Warlock Emporium is the only licensed seller for the official Warlock sigil designed by Magister Dr. Robert Johnson, the author of The Satanic Warlock. The Warlock Emporium also offers a 15% military and veterans discount. Visit the WarlockEmporium.com for more information. Underworld Amusements is creating curious sundries and callous broadsides. Since 2007, Underworld Amusements has been your source for satanic, anarchic, and radical thinkers from past and present. Underworld Amusements is the official publisher of the Satanic Scriptures by Magus Peter H. Kilmer. Visit underworldamusements.com for more information. Duffelblog is America's number one most trusted military news site. Duffelblog is read in the Pentagon and around the world. To get high-quality satire written by veterans for veterans, be sure to visit duffelblog.com. And thank you to all the sponsors for taking care of this show and making sure we can keep doing this. So what do you think, Dwayne? Should we just jump right into this? Jump right into it. Let's go. All right. Let's talk about all the scuttlebutt around the world of the military. We're going to jump in talking about this first article, which comes from Military Times. It was written by Leo Shane III. The title of the article is, Senators back 5.2% pay raise for troops, but not other salary boosts. 
Senate lawmakers backed plans for a 5.2% pay raise in their first draft of the annual defense authorization bill, but held back on more aggressive plans to boost junior enlisted pay, opting instead to study the idea of higher base salaries for the lowest paid service members. Officials from the Senate Armed Services Committee unveiled their plans for the massive defense budget policy bill on Friday, following three days of mostly behind-the-scenes work on the legislation. It follows the House Armed Services Committee's adoption of its own draft early Thursday morning containing the same provisions provisions for a 5.2% pay boost. All right, I'm not going to bore you by reading the whole article here, but the general thrust Oh, why not? <laughs> the general thrust of this is that both the Senate and the House uh, Armed Forces Committees, or Armed Services Committees, have approved a 5.2% pay boost. Um so now it just has to go to a general vote and then be signed by the president, which if both houses of Congress are supporting it, it probably will be. What's exciting about this? Well, it is the largest pay raise in 22 years. Um, and combined with the pay boost from last year, which uh, I don't remember what it was exactly, but uh, it was pretty that, significant. Yeah. Combined with that one, it would be an increase of almost 10 percent in over two year span. That sounds really impressive. Except that 5.2% doesn't even cover the inflation rate. So, <laughs> so it's still not much. And considering we have a multi-trillion dollar defense uh, budget, uh, it, that's a little disconcerting. Um, in the title of the article, it mentions that it didn't approve other measures. There were measures on the table to possibly provide bonuses for troops E6 and below that would counter the effects of inflation. Um, there were there was also some ideas about uh, adjusting the base uh, housing allowance so that it'd be more flexible depending on what area you're in. Some of these are going to be in this bill and some of them are not going to be in this, this bill. I should say budget plan. It's not actually a bill. But um, I don't know. It's all it's all kind of up in the air. It does seem like the 5.2% pay increase is going to go through. And for, you know, for those listening, that affects veterans as well as active service members. Um so that's a really good thing. I'm excited for that. But uh I still don't I still feel like it's a little too short. What do you, what do you think, man? I'm feeling the same way. Um As you said, it doesn't even cover the inflation rate. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know our, our spending right now on, on pay is so weird. I don't know if I'm going to get off track by doing this. No, but um, over in Hawaii, for instance, when I was when I was uh, over there, um, it took us a year to get into housing because it was so it was so hard to get military housing there while you no. were on, on while you were on military or not on military housing you were on uh some kind of special baq and tla or not TLA, mm, yeah. traditional living allowance no but what they did was they um we got almost five grand a week wow well i mean at, it's at Hawaii, that time, so it makes sense yeah at, at that time it was as an E four, you got paid according to rank, right. and you get you get five grand. You go get yourself a hotel down in Honolulu, get a car to rent, and make sure your ass is there in the morning for PG, and you're there all day, and then go home. But um, 
and you were doing that for a year, right? Right. And you could go and stay in the richest hotel you want or stay in a fucking roach hotel down in Chinatown. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't matter, and you'd pocket the rest of the money. Um, but there's places where where our money is going that I don't know if I agree it should go that way. And like I said, I got a little off on that. But it, no, it's, no, it's, it's a good example it's because that's hard, one of the biggest uh, problems uh, is housing, especially for, for married soldiers, because the BAH and BAS does not cover your expenses. Right. Um, and uh, I went through something similar. Well, I, I had to go through the uh, the threat of something similar when I first got to Fort Drum in New York. Um, I got put on the, the housing list. And um, they came back with uh, the offer for an apartment, um, and I could, you know, inspect the place and then either accept it or decline it. If I decline it, I go back to the list. It could be – they said it could be 10 years before there's a place available. Right. Um, so they would have put me on a similar plan to what you were on. Um, so I accepted the place uh, sight unseen because I didn't really have another option. You know, <laughs> I was a young man. I had a, a brand-new baby in the world and my wife, and they were waiting for me, I still had to go back and pick them up and take them to New York. So it was um, a scary thing for me. So I accepted the uh, the house. The house was 30 miles from post. So every morning before PT, I had to get up and drive 30 miles into uh, into work. And then I had to turn around and drive 30 miles back every night. I mean, the convenience of having military housing went right out the window when our cars started getting put through that kind of, you know, roughness, especially in the middle of winter. Especially um, in the middle of winter at Fort Drum. Yeah. So it's it's insane. The housing issue uh, inside the military is insane. Um, obviously, any pay raise of any amount is, is going to be helpful, but when it doesn't even match inflation and they're not even willing to discuss things that might – help with that for junior for junior enlisted primarily senior enlisted and officers they make enough money they can cover the difference i know they're hurting too but they can cover the difference the junior enlisted they're they're in a bad way especially if they're married and have children right so i don't know we'll see how this plays out like i said i expect this 5.2 percent boost to, to go through uh, i don't see why it wouldn't especially both houses of congress approving similar plans um, but, yeah, I think, like you said, like you hinted at, there's a lot of things we're spending our multi-trillion dollar budget on um, that maybe just a little bit more of it could go to paying fucking soldiers. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it all plays out. And, of course, listen to the Infernal Legion podcast for all the updates on it. But we were talking about military housing, and I think that's a great segue into our next story. Uh, because it involves homeless veterans or the threat of homeless veterans. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> uh, before I, I get into this article, I do want to give a quick disclaimer. This article is from Task and Purpose. Uh, Task and Purpose is a wonderful military magazine uh, that updates news from around the military and veteran spheres. Uh, Task and Purpose is owned by the same company that owns Duffel Blog, as you Probably know by now, Duffel Blog is a sponsor for this show, and I actually write for Duffel Blog. So I don't think there'll be any bias here, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, this article is entitled Stolen Valor and Homeless Veterans Inside a Failed Hoax. 
this is a, a doozy of a story, so I'm just going to jump into it real quick and read some of this, and then we can start talking about it. <clears throat> it was a story that drew national headlines. Homeless veterans at three hotels in upstate New York were unceremoniously kicked out to make room for, quote, immigrants. The incident got coverage on cable news channels, including Fox News. It came at a time when many veterans were facing potential homelessness as COVID emergency aid money expired. It looked like a nightmare for the Biden administration as evidence for claims that its immigration policies were hurting veterans. There was one big problem, though. The story was entirely made up by a political operative who appears to have also been caught lying about being awarded a Purple Heart. Sharon Tony Finch, the woman who has admitted being behind the hoax, claims on her Facebook page to be a Purple Heart recipient, a claim that was still in place at the time of his writing. The Pentagon has released Tony Finch's service record, which does not include a Purple Heart. She did serve as an automated logistical specialist from 2006 to 2015 and deployed twice to Iraq. In the end, no veterans were displaced to house migrants to house migrants in New York's Orange and Dutchess counties. In fact, the evidence behind the claims turned out to be intentional fabrications. As national coverage exploded, local news outlets Mid-Hudson News and the Times Union broke the news that it was a hoax. The outlets got New York Assemblyman Brian Mayer, who had expressed outrage over the apparent displacement, to admit that he and others were tricked by the scheme. So, it sounds bad enough already, right? <laughs> But it, it still gets worse. It somehow still gets worse. <laughs> so this woman set up a foundation called the Yerrick Israel Tony Foundation, uh, which was designed to aid veterans uh, facing homelessness. Per their accounts, their official accounts reviewed by the IRS, 20 unhoused veterans staying in three different hotels were forced out of the spaces to make room for immigrants. The nonprofit had paid for the month of housing for the veterans in the hotels. None of these 20 people were veterans either. They were all paid actors that this woman had gone out and given money to to play a role and pretend that they were homeless veterans. Uh, and it wasn't until the Department of Veterans Affairs and those two early earlier mentioned uh, local newspapers uh, got a hold of all this and requested information on the specific veterans and were declined numerous times. Did they figure out that this was a big hoax? Now let's go back to, uh, to 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Um, there was a lot of stuff that needed to happen for veterans. There was a lot of veterans facing evictions, uh, veterans that were already homeless and couldn't find a place because a lot of places have been shut down due to COVID um, while the government was sending out more money, it was putting a strain on the VA, trying to make sure that money got to where it needed to go, so on and so forth. And I remember this story being a blurb coming out. Like, I don't remember the specifics of it or anything, but I do remember hearing that uh, uh, veterans being housed in hotels in New York were being forced out for immigrants. And thinking to myself, well, that's fucked up, as I think any veteran probably would. <laughs> I didn't go any further into it, but man, this is a, a hoax of a whole nother sort. This is insane. Thoughts? 
I'm thinking we need an asshole of the month segment and she can be the star of it. Right. <laughs> I I just don't I, I don't understand I mean, I understand the motivation, mind you, to get money. Um to siphon off money. I totally get that. But she is a legitimate veteran herself. Like she she served for several years there. It was uh nine years she served Afghanistan. Yeah, and Iraq. Um, so she did deploy, uh, and yet she turns around and and pulls this kind of crap on her fellow, hurting her fellow veterans because the money that came into her could have very well been donated to veterans organizations that actually would use it to help veterans, <laughs> that right. actually would use it to house veterans. So there's that aspect of it, and then of course the the stolen valor aspect of uh, claiming to be a Purple Heart recipient when you never got one. Like, I, I will never understand that. And then I guess then I guess I wonder why I get stereotyped. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'll never understand the, the notion of uh, if you served, you served. And whatever you did while you served, be proud of that. Not not everybody was on the front lines shooting and, and, and running and gunning. Like everyone had a job to do. If you did your job, you did it honorably, be proud of that. There's no reason to make up shit to add to your resume. The only excuse is if you're those, at a those bar. Those people don't understand. <laughs> 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 no, those people don't understand that, you know, it takes every job in the military to make the whole machine go. You miss one little cog in there. You're missing the the food service. Guess what? We starve. You're mm-hmm. missing the the water purifiers. Guess what? We don't fucking drink out there. Right. You know, you, you ain't gotta be Johnny Gung Ho to have gotten valor from being there. Right. A lot of these people don't fucking understand that, and never and never will. Yeah, it just it doesn't make any damn sense to me. Mm-hmm. But, um. I guess I guess the crux of this story that really pisses me off too is that while everything is being being dug into and she's probably going to have to I'm almost guaranteed she's going to have to pay the money back. I didn't see anything in the story about possible criminal charges. No. And this seems like a a rife case for a fraud charge at the very least. <laughs> It does say the New York State Attorney's General Office is now investigating the hoax, but yeah, no, no charges have been filed yet. Um, and of course, none of the cable news outlets that covered this uh, are going to go back to a story that's what now almost three years old and say, "Oh, we were wrong about that." They, they don't do that shit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a crazy story. Uh, so be aware out there, listener, um, just because someone says they're doing something to help vets, don't necessarily believe them on the surface. Dig into it. Make sure they're good to go. I, I remember uh, there was a, a big scuffle with the Wounded Warrior Project several years ago because of misappropriation of funds. That wasn't quite as bad as this, but the Wounded Warrior Project is the uh, one of the biggest veteran charities out there. And they were uh, siphoning money off and giving it to the uh, the CEO and COO and all the executives of the project instead of actually using it to help veterans. And that blew up 
that was a huge story. It completely damaged their credibility. Um, and this is just floating under the radar, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Man, I don't know. All right, any final thoughts on either of those two things there, Dwayne? No, sir. All right, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do then. We're going to take ourselves a little break. We're going to hear some advertisements from Radio Free Satan, this wonderful channel that sponsors us and lets us have our show here. And then after those breaks, Magister Adam Campbell will be here with the very first segment segment of a, uh, a program he calls The Tower. So stay tuned right here on the official Infernal Legion podcast. Take a trip back to the 1980s with me, Warlock Jeff Ivins, on the Metro Radio Free Satan's show highlighting the new wave and other hits from the indulgent decade. Only on RadioFreeSatan.com. Why start your mornings early when you can sleep in late and wake up later to a freshly brewed cup of Radio Free Satan? Radio Free Satan is infernally roasted with a complex taste to suit your indulgence. It's sinful. That's why it tastes great. So pour yourself another helping of this podcast and others at RadioFreeSatan.com. What is naturism? The history practices and other aspects of living a clothing-free lifestyle. All on the Naked Satanist, hosted by Warlock Jeff Ivins. soldiers while we're out here you will be taking all commands from the tower and i am the tower do you understand yes welcome to the tower your dose of military news delivered with an infernal edge my name is magister campbell and today we are discussing why the army renamed a base in louisiana now this is from an article from military.com titled Army Renames Louisiana Base for Black World War I Hero Who Received Medal of Honor for Johnson, Louisiana. A U.S. Army base in western Louisiana was renamed Tuesday to honor Sergeant William Henry Johnson, a black hero of World War I, who received the Medal of Honor nearly a century later. Fort Johnson has previously been named after a Confederate commander, Leonidas Polk, The renaming is part of the U.S. military's effort to address historic racial injustice, work that included changing the names of nine Army posts that commemorated Confederate officers. Quote, Sergeant William Henry Johnson embodied the warrior spirit, and we're deeply honored to bear his name. Brigadier General David Garner, the commanding general of the Joint Readiness Training Center at Fort Johnson, said in a post on Twitter. 
While serving on the front lines of France in 1918, Johnson fought off a German night raid near the Argonne Forest, according to the National Museum of the United States Army. Johnson was wounded 21 times while beating back the attacking forces. He also prevented a wounded black comrade from being taken prisoner when, after running out of grenades and ammunition, he killed two German soldiers with his knife. Quote, his frantic attacks broke the German morale and the enemy raiding party retreated, the Army Museum's biography of Johnson says. He survived the war, and former President Theodore Roosevelt named him one of the five bravest Americans to serve in the conflict. He insisted he was no hero, and the Army biography quotes him as saying, There wasn't anything so fine about it. Just fought for my life. A rabbit would have done that. His brave actions were recognized nearly a century later, when he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor in 2015, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. However, Johnson's actions were not recognized by the Army, which denied him a disability allowance and did not award him a Purple Heart. Due to his injuries, he struggled after returning home to Albany, New York, and died of a heart condition in 1929. He was 32 years old. The current process of renaming nine army posts marks the first time bases will be named after black soldiers and women. Earlier this month, Fort Bragg in North Carolina became Fort Liberty, and Fort Benning in Georgia was renamed Fort Moore last month. The original naming process involved members of local communities, although black residents were left out of the conversations. Bases were named after soldiers born or raised nearby, no matter how effectively they performed their duties. Confederate General Braxton Bragg is widely regarded among historians as a poor leader who did not have the respect of his troops. All right, so that is the article. <laughs> I gotta be honest. Why is a Louisiana base being named after a soldier from New York? That's the first thing that sort of struck me as odd when I was reading this article. And it is an odd thing. Are there no uh, respectable or honored black soldiers in Louisiana, which would be seemingly a much more important uh, commemoration of a base than to reach way, way north. Because ultimately what you're doing, aside from the obvious here, you're, you're looking to the Yankees to uh, find a name for a base in the South. And I understand this is not the Civil War anymore. There is no North and South, even though there really is still a North and a South. It just seems a little bit more than your traditional whitewashing, which, yes, I get it, uh, to, to reach all the way up into the North from New York City in order to name a base in Louisiana. All right, all right. So renaming bases from Confederate commanders to other soldiers, I think is totally fine. Like, I, I really have no problem with that at all, especially if it's a commander like General Bragg, who was not seen as a good leader and had no respect of his troops. Why would you name it after him in the first place? Now, clearly, the last paragraph explains that when the base was named, the black community was left out of the voting and had no say in it, though that has no bearing on whether or not this particular general gets the base after his name or not. 
I think more importantly to the South was that he was a Confederate general. And that's why they named the base after him. Not his quality, not his effectiveness, not his respect or ad admiration by his troops, but just the fact that they want to stick it in the nose of those Yanks in the North. And so maybe this is a come uppance. Maybe this is a fair turn of play. The South wants to stick it to the North by naming their army base after a Confederate general. Well, now the North is going to change it up and name it after one of their honored black soldiers. I don't mind the changing of it. I want to be clear about that. I think in any era, if for some reason you want to rename a location, a statue, or replace a statue, for whatever reason, fine, do it, do your thing, as long as it's the local population doing it, the local community, the local state doing it, not outside forces coming in and pitching a fit. So Sergeant Williams' uh, comment here about his actions not being, quote, so fine is really the reality of battle. No one goes into a conflict in order to be a hero or to be remembered or to have their name as the uh, base, you know, generations later of people whom probably would have lynched your ass when you went into the service in the first place. No one would care about that because that's not what you're trained to do as a soldier. You're not trained to sacrifice your life or limb. You're trained to complete the mission. And at times, that means that you have to sacrifice life and limb, but that's not the intention. It reminds me of my uh, motorcycle training course where uh, people you know, raise their hand saying, hey, aren't you going to teach us how to crash? And the instructor's answer was, no, I'm, I'm going to teach you how not to crash your bike. That's the point of this course. And that is the point of every military training exercise. It's not to teach you how to sacrifice your life for the service. It's to teach you how to succeed the mission, how to complete it effectively and as safely as possible. Of course, there's going to be casualties in war, especially in World War I. But that's not what they go into. And so I love his sensibility when he's like, look, I was just, I was just doing my job, man. Like, I you know, the soldiers next to me, I cared about and I wanted to protect them. They were going to die. And so I stepped up and I did my job as a soldier is trained to do. He doesn't ask for honors. He doesn't expect honors. The fact that the U.S. military refused to acknowledge his actions is unconscionable. And I can't imagine that his... Uh, if he has any um, uh, heirs, any any uh, people still around, I, I can't imagine this is going to make up all this time later for his sacrifices and his inability to secure any type of funding from the U.S. Army whom he served and then ultimately died. And he didn't die an old man. He didn't die in a rocking chair in peace. He was 32. He died of a heart condition. Sounds like a heart attack or a stroke to me. He was 32 years old, whom if he had assistance that was owed to him by the U.S. government for serving the U.S. government, 
he may not have died at 32. Now, I'm sitting here today working my way to 50, and I can't imagine not having the past a decade or so simply because I died of a heart attack. Like, that's, at 32, that's unthinkable. But that's what veterans have to deal with, not necessarily the heart attack aspect, but injuries that they are owed compensation for or disability for by the U.S. government through the VA, and they are regularly rejected. They're regularly run through so many freaking paper loops that a lot of people just give up or they don't even bother getting into the fight in the first place. And it shouldn't have to be a fight. They've already done the fighting. They did their job. Just give them what they're owed. Now, for the sake of going back to this article and around the concept of allowing a community to decide the name of a base, if the community, including the black community, decides that they want a Confederate commander to be named after the base or to continue with the existing Confederate commander's name, I'm fine with that too. I don't live in that community. If that's what the community wants, let the community have it. What we have to remember as Americans is that we are not a monolith. We each have our own opinions and thoughts and cares and concerns. We do not all see things the same way. If you're from the South and you love the culture that you were raised in, and because we're so far removed from the travesty that was the Civil War, simply maintaining a name is not going to bring back the South or allow the South to rise again. No, it's just keeping a stupid name. It doesn't hurt the Confederacy because the Confederacy doesn't exist anymore. It's not a thing. And so you removing General Bragg's name from the base doesn't fix anything. The war still happened. The people affected on both sides of the war are still affected. So I, I've never really understood this idea of trying to rewrite history or wash over history in order to somehow repair history. History is done. It's how we move forward. Now, you can make a fair argument that part of moving forward is correcting the naming of these bases or at least not allowing the celebration of their name by having the names on the base. All right, I don't care. <laughs> as long as the local community is okay with it. Now, personally, I was not. I don't, I don't, I don't even recall if I have people in the north or the south during the Civil War. I mean, my people goes back to World War II, but I don't remember any... I'll have to look in my, in my uh, genealogy to see if there's anyone that fought in any of those wars. Um, I mean, I can trace one side of my family all the way back to the Mayflower, believe it or not. But uh, yeah, I, I don't remember anything, which probably tells me that I don't have anyone on our side. In any case, I have no dog in the fight. I live in the West. 
I don't care about the North or the South is divided. I think slavery is abhorrent. And I think anyone who tries to say that the Civil War was not about slavery is trying to whitewash their own version of history. But we also have to keep in mind, as much as Sergeant William Henry Johnson's quote about his actions being not so fine, it's just the reality of battle, that's the same for the Confederate soldiers. Yeah, some soldiers sign up to serve their country because of political or patriotic reasons. We saw a huge influx after 9-11. But not all of them do. Some people serve up just so that they can earn a wage, so that they can have a job and, and travel and experience life. Some people don't choose to serve up, and they end up being brought in from the draft, which happened in World War I. So we can't pretend that every single one of the soldiers in the South were back in slavery 100%. They were literally fighting their brothers, <laughs> like, like blood brothers in some rare instances. So the reality of war is not so black and white. It is not literally... I am for evil actions and you are for good actions, seen by each side, of course. It's, I'm doing a job to protect my community. I'm, I'm backing my family's industry. You know, I, I want to make sure that they can, uh, I don't know, live with their head held high because they served a, a cause. I mean, it could be literally any reason. It doesn't have to do with slavery. So when people do say from the South that the Civil War was not about slavery, for people, for individuals, that could very well be true. I just don't understand why we have to assign this blanket statement that everyone who served in the North was a good person and everyone who served in the South was a bad person. Because that's not reality. There are so many fine contextual issues and choices and problems and situations that forced people to be in the positions that they are. A lot of that's free will, of course. But to then reflect on all of those individual thoughts and actions and choices and just say with a big old brush painted across it with a big old red X... You are the South and you are evil. So we must rename you in generations henceforth. It's just stupid. That, that's illogical to me. I do not understand it. Now, you could say that I'm ignorant and hey, maybe I am. I'm open to that possibility. I'm open to being educated in different perspectives. That's the point of third side perspectives is to be able to examine situations from more than just the A and B, the black and white, the yes and no, the slavery, the free slavery positions. And I just can't see it in those binary positions. You have to step back. You have to examine it from a different perspective because that's reality. So for these bases being renamed, for black heroes serving our country, I'm all for it if the local population's all for it, 100%. For renaming them against the local community's wishes, which I don't know if that's the case, 
I'm just making a blanket statement about what I approve of or not, <laughs> as if that mattered to any of you. Um, then if, if it's against the, the local populace, if they just want to keep Confederate General Bragg as the name of the fort, I don't care. It's not going to make the South rise again. It's not celebrating slavery. It's not celebrating the Confederacy. It's not celebrating a section of our country which at one time wanted to break away from the nation. At all. It's just a name. That's it. A stupid fucking name. So how about everyone just stops and grows the fuck up for a second? Now, for Sergeant William Henry Johnson, I'm stoked that he's finally getting recognition. I'm stoked that it, it take this long, but finally he is being seen. And that is the true travesty of this article. Not that he was honored, not that the name of the fort was changed, but that a veteran finally is recognized for the sacrifices and the heroic actions that they made. That's the point of this article. And that's what we should be taking away from it. Look, not every soldier is good. Not every trooper is worth their weight in gold. They're not all salt of the earth. Some of them are fucking monsters. Some of them are pieces of shit. But they shouldn't be lumped in with every soldier that has gone above and beyond the call of duty, that has risked life and limb, saved their fellow soldiers' lives, and got ignored because of the color of their skin. That's reprehensible. And at least, if nothing else, he's being seen. So, cheers to that. All right, soldiers, that's all I have for you today. Comedy! I can hoot! Holla! In 1966, Anton LaVey created the Church of Satan, marking the beginning of the Age of Fire and Year One Anno Satanus. In 1969, he published The Satanic Bible, codifying Satanism as a religion, the first time it's been done in human history. In the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, king of hell, come forth from the pit, bestow the blessings of hell upon us. For we are your children, and we invoke thee this night. In 2001, I was appointed high priest of the Church of Satan. In 2007, I published the Satanic Scriptures, further defining and expanding on Satanic philosophy and greater magic ritual. Hail Satan, full of might! Our allegiance is with thee! Cursed are they! The God adorers! And cursed are the worshippers! Of the Nazarene eunuch! For the past 50 years, the Church of Satan has stood as the sole organization to define and defend Satanism as a religion. And though pretenders to the infernal throne have come and gone, we have stood the test of time and will into the future.
Visit churchofsatan.com for more information and read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Knowledge is the solution for ignorance. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast, Sinister Scuttlebutt episode. Once again, in case you forgot, I have with me my wonderful fluffy teddy bear, Reverend Dwayne Burns. And I want to give a special shout out to Magister Adam Campbell for including his new The Tower segments on our show. He will also be uploading those separately as a video on his own site. So make sure to check that out if you just want to hear him talk about the base name closure. I think he had a very interesting perspective and, and obviously, as always, a well-spoken perspective on that whole situation. So once again, shout out to Magister Adam Campbell. Make sure you check out his stuff as well. All right, Dwayne, let's jump into this. Do you know what a security force assistance brigade is? I do. (laughs) Well, let's tell everyone else, because I'm pretty sure they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it started uh, back in uh, the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq. So Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Uh, brigade combat teams, which were the standard uh, formation for army units were tasked with multiple missions. Uh, they had combat missions, logistics missions, security missions, um, and just general base operation and maintenance missions. And usually one brigade was being divided out over all of that stuff. One of the primary focuses of those side missions was training local military and law enforcement units on how to do their job, basically. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, hold on, isn't that what special forces do? No. Special forces train guerrillas from the local population. They train insurgencies from the local population. Uh, what we were doing over there was essentially training the, 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 you know, everyday police force in Baghdad or the Afghan military and teaching them how to be soldiers. And it was a heavy tax on the brigade combat team. So, Fast forward a decade or more, uh, and someone comes up with this brilliant idea to stand up what's called a Security Force Assistance Brigade, or an SFAB. And what an SFAB would do, about they would be about 800 people strong, almost all NCOs and officers, and they would take over all of that training of local military and law enforcement in these countries so that brigade combat teams were then freed up to focus on winning the war, which is kind of their job. Now, obviously, with the pullout in Afghanistan, we see how well that worked out, but this was a relatively new concept there. (laughs) We know how thrilled you are about that. (laughs) Um, So these things exist now. Uh, And at my last count, there are five active and one National Guard uh, of these SFAB brigades. Um, And they are deployed around the world. Uh, well, not all of them are currently deployed, but they do deploy around the world. Uh, they train uh, Peshmerga forces in Iraq and in Syria. They uh, were training the Afghan army and police before we pulled out. Uh, they're also in, in uh, Ukraine um, in, in Poland, assisting Ukrainian forces right now and teaching them how to use all the weapons we're getting. Uh, um, so these are uh, highly deployable uh, positions and it looks really good on a resume. 
that's out of the way. We know what an SFAB is. Now, you may also be thinking to yourself, well, this sounds like a terrible idea. I agree with you, and let's talk about why. Because, and this comes from military.com, this article is entitled, Fifth SFAB Commander Fired as Other Officers Face Misconduct Investigations. Army Colonel Jonathan Chung, commander of the 5th Security Force Assistance Brigade, was relieved this week, a service spokesman confirmed on mili- to military.com. Chung's termination comes after a military.com investigation was first to detail systemic issues with the brigade, including numerous leaders facing investigations into their conduct and disciplinary and performance concerns across the brigade's mid-level brass and non-commissioned officers. Chung was relieved after a sprawling investigation into his conduct. Military.com interviewed two dozen soldiers who served with Chung over the last decade. The publication also reviewed the Army's unredacted investigation on Chung, along with more than 30 sworn statements, dozens of audio recordings, emails, text messages, and videos, an unredacted 2021 command climate survey, and other internal data from the brigade. Most soldiers interviewed say Chung frequently belittled staff, was a micromanager, and routinely scolded troops for minor errors. Quick pause there. That sounds like every commander ever in the military. <laughs> Back to it. <laughs> Some soldiers interviewed by Military.com conceded that Chung was, a very, was very knowledgeable but was direct in speaking to people, often to a fault, and that he inherited poor-performing soldiers. When the SFABs were initially stood up, there was little scrutiny among applicants during the selection process into what the Army hoped would be prestigious units. The dysfunction surrounding Chung comes as the SFABs seek relevance in the Army but remain a concept still in its infancy after being established in 2017. They are supposed to be the tip of the spear of the service's training efforts with allied armies, each having its own region of responsibility. All right. So... You know what? Before we actually get into it and talk about it, let's talk about the investigation that led to this. Uh, let's jump in here, right here. Uh, this is another Military.com article. This is when they started their investigating, uh, get investigative reporting on what was happening in this brigade. And it starts with a quote. He was the worst leader I ever had. Suspended brigade commander accused of toxic leadership. Again, that sounds like every commander in the army. <laughs> The commander of the Army's 5th Security Force Assistance Brigade was suspended amid allegations of counterproductive and abusive treatment of his subordinates, according to multiple sources with direct knowledge of the investigation. Now, this suspension occurred in April, the very beginning of April, and the article I I actually just read to you was discussing him officially being relieved of command, which happened this week, just in case anyone's losing track of the timeline. Basically, Military.com went in and talked to a bunch of soldiers assigned to the 5th SFAB uh, Brigade. Um, all of them had terrible things to say about this commander. Now, I want to point out, I want to be very clear, none of the things they had to say about him are illegal. He is not accused of any illegal activity. He's not accused of uh, physically abusing anyone, sexually abusing anyone in his brigade. It's all just his leadership style and his attitude. Uh, 
the publication, Military.com, they went as far as to interview soldiers who had served with him in the uh, 2nd Infantry Division in Korea and across a, a handful of other units that he had been in, even when he wasn't in a command position in those units. And this seems to be a, uh, a common theme throughout his career. Uh, one of the <laughs> the uh, interesting uh, some of the interesting claims include uh, uh, soldiers, including other officers who worked below Chung in the can- chain of command, described Chung as a perfectionist and micromanager who routinely dressed down subordinates in front of others. The public criticism was commonly known in the ranks as the Chunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> he also tasked his formation with listening to his podcast about leadership lessons, sometimes requiring troops to write reports or quizzing them about the material he covered. <laughs> Hell of a way to get ratings and, uh, <laughs> a lot, and a lot of people listening. <laughs> um, so I task you. <laughs> uh, he's been relieved of command of the 5th SFAB. The, the brigade will continue on under new leadership as soon as a new commander takes his role. But I think this this highlights a problem with new concepts in the army that has always existed. Um, back when the global war on terrorism first started off, the army, and you'll remember this, Dwayne, because you were in Desert Storm, the army was a very clunky conventional warfare machine. Had large divisions, large brigades. Uh, uh, the organization was not nearly designed to take on a, uh, 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 what's the, the term, a, an insurgency as much right. as war with another country. Um, so we learned very quickly in the beginning of, of the global war on terrorism that we had to redesign our uh, formations and what they looked like. The solution to that was the brigade combat team. So they divided a division into several brigades. Each brigade had you know, a support battalion, a headquarters battalion, a cavalry battalion, two infantry battalions, an artillery battalion, and and a couple other things attached to it. And these were designed to be faster to deploy, better to maneuver, and to uh, condense leadership within the brigade so they weren't constantly having to deal with big army, as it were. Hence <laughs> comes your FSB, your MSV. <laughs> and yeah, things like that. Exactly. Um, their model, the the model was based off of, and it makes sense because of the type of war we were in, uh, the standard um, formation of, say, a ranger battalion or a special forces group. Um, that was what they were kind of designed off of. The problem is, is that special forces groups and the ranger regiment, they're designed to do very specific things. And regular army is not designed to do those things. Most of the soldiers wouldn't know how to do half of them if their life depended on it. You know, um, there's always exceptions, but most of them wouldn't. Um, and that's not to say that that special forces or rangers are better than than regular military or vice versa. We just talked about that in the whole hoax thing on our last segment. Um, but they're very different missions that require very different people. So when the brigade combat teams were first stood up, there was a lot of issues with that concept, a lot of leadership gone rogue 
who didn't, who weren't being held accountable to anyone, who were doing whatever they wanted to do, uh, sometimes up to and including uh, covering up deaths of soldiers and country, uh, stealing funds from the U.S. Uh, uh, Treasury, who was donating money to Iraq, basically. Um, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that went on um, because the concept hadn't been thought out very well. I see this as much as, and I, we can get into his behavior and what he was doing later in, in a little bit, but I see what's happening with these SFABs as being the same thing that happened there. The fact of the matter is the Army is slow to adapt to change. It's, it's an institution that does not know how to regroup itself when it needs to. Do you think I'm right about that, Dwayne? Yeah. I mean... Like I was going to say earlier, I, I read in there that there were things about uh, about uh, officers and NCOs getting in trouble and not mm-hmm. being held accountable. I was, I was going to bring that up, and you, you just did it. But, um, right. yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's a big problem because I think the Army realizes that that warfare is transitioning very fast into an unconventional type of – Beast, space force, um, <laughs> space force. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, they are uh, the all of warfare is changing, and it doesn't matter where on the earth you're talking about. It's becoming more unconventional as it goes. The army, with the exception of those units I mentioned earlier, with the ranger regiment and the special forces, they don't know what to do with that. They don't know how to uh, adapt the entire army. It is the biggest branch of the service. I don't know how to adapt the entire army to be more like those guys. And I don't have a solution for him. I just know that that's the problem. Well, let's talk about this guy. There's obviously some things they said about him that are a little fucked up, you know, like making uh, making your, your soldiers listen to your podcast and write essays about it. That's kind of fucked up. All right, I'll, I'll give them that. But everything that they talked about with his toxic leadership and, and whatnot sounds like and I joked about it, but I'm being honest. It sounds like almost every commander I've ever heard of in the army. He doesn't sound like he was that much worse than just about any other brigade level commander in the army. So why do you think he was the one that they chose to remove for this kind of stuff? Do you think he's the first of many? Or it was it just worked out that way? What do you think? I think it kind of worked out that way as things always do. It's just the way, it's just the, way the ball rolls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to say it, not make somebody sound bad or. Right, right. Well, apparently he's making himself sound bad and we should listen to his podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, like, like I said. We we we, we got to start assigning people to listen to ours. We can get some ratings and <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm gonna. I'm probably a new directive for the Infernal Legion. If you want to stay a member, you have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to work for uh, Colonel Chun. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, it was great having you back. Uh, we're still getting back in the saddle of this whole sinister scuttlebutt thing. Uh. I think we'll do another one next month. What do you think? I'm ready for it. 
All right. Sounds good. Um, to everyone out there listening, thank you for listening. To Magister Adam Campbell, thank you for your segment and congratulations on your elevation. And while we're giving out congratulations, once again, Dwayne, to yourself and to uh, Reverend Jeff Ivins, congratulations. Um, very happy to have you back. And to you. All right. I'm and uh, I guess all that's left to say is until next time, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Veteran Suicide Hotline. Phone number is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-TALK. And as soon as you dial that, you press number 1. Also, you can text to 838-255 for more information. But it is just as effective as chat. Support is free, confidential, and available 24-7. It is available to all servicemen and women, active and inactive, guard or reserve, and available to veterans, family members as well.